memories really stick out for me. Is that, is that true for everybody? It probably is. In particular, what, what, really quick, my mic feels like super hot. And I'm afraid if I like yell at you guys that I'm going to like really, really deafen someone. Excellent. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, Emmanuel. Okay. So in particular, childhood memories of nausea really stick with me. Does anyone else have like really vivid memories of being nauseous? I can. Okay, yes. Uh, the answer is absolutely. Uh, I can like remember exactly what movies in particular I was watching when I started to feel the need to throw up. Um, I don't know what it is about that exactly. But uh, I have one memory in particular where my friend came over for a birthday party and his present to me was like a foot-long Toblerone bar. And you can imagine where this story is going. So I was like 10 and had very little self-control. So he slept over. We ate that entire Toblerone bar, as I should. As a 10-year-old, I, mean, I did exactly what, what I should have done. And uh, we laugh about it to this day because I woke up, promptly threw all of it up, and then, sorry for, I don't know if you guys have weak stomachs, just ate dinner. <laughs> anyway, I, I promptly threw everything up. And, but then I, then I went to my dad and I was like, dad, I feel better. It's okay. I, my, my friend, I was, what I was afraid of is that he was going to send my friend home. And I was like, no, he can stay because I feel better now. So, um, what we're going to talk about today is discontentment and I'm going to connect it to Doblerone in just a moment. Um, there's two reasons I want to talk about discontentment. Number one is that it's pervasive. All right. Discontentment is everywhere. And when I say everywhere, it's all over the world. Uh, it's particularly pervasive in the United States, where we have so much, and yet we might be one of the most discontented people that has ever been on earth. Um, so it's pervasive, but it's also pervasive within us. All of us have struggled with this to some degree or another. And for that reason, I think it's a really good place to start. And when we say, okay, what are we going to talk about? Uh, what sin are we going to address? Uh, secondly, it is also a root of a whole bunch of other sin. When we are discontent, it tends to flourish or, or uh, sprout other sin. Think of uh, just like the common, unfortunately common sin of like something like adultery, where it is discontent in that relationship that ultimately prompts someone into adultery, right? Uh, or greed. It's discontent with our possessions that leads us into greed. So we're going to talk about discontentment. Uh, I think the, the simplest definition of discontentment would be unhappiness. Discontentment is basically being unhappy, okay? Uh, but I, I want to talk specifically about sinful discontentment, which is most of our discontentment, and it is essentially unwarranted unhappiness. And it's unwarranted unhappiness with where God has placed us in life. We are unhappy with where God has put us, with how God has positioned us, with what God has given us. We're unhappy. We can identify where we're discontent by where we say, if only, right? If only I had this, if only this was different in my life. We can be, I know for myself, uh, I can be very discontent uh, with something re regarding myself. One of the things that we really can't change very much is what we look like, what we feel like, how we're built, right? And yeah, that's one of the, the primary things, that like, one of the first things we think of, right? Uh, like I always think, my ears, they stick out kind of funny. <laughs> and, and like one of them actually sticks out farther than the others. 
So, I mean, now you all know that and you'll all look for it, right? So, I mean, that's a relatively small thing, right? And we can identify small things about us that if we could, maybe if we were with God when he was designing us, we'd be like, I don't know why you did that, but uh, can, can you shift that, please? Um, and on the other hand, there's, there's bigger problems uh, in our lives that we might not like. Like, uh, we might not be as, our personality might not be what we want it to be, right? God didn't give us the personality that, he, that, that we would have wanted. I often compare myself to people that are, that can work the room, so to speak, in a good way. They can just, they talk to everybody, they're friends with everybody. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And I, God didn't make me to just naturally be that. And so I often compare myself to those people, right? So the, those are kind of, there's a spectrum here. And those are, those are on the one side, right? There's relatively small things that you can nod your head and say, yeah, we can be discontent with things. And we can kind of laugh and say, Paul, your ears are fine. You can get over it, right? <laughs> on the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, there's really heavy things that God calls us to live with and deal with. You can think of some of these things like we have a friend who uh, has, who, ha who got sick with COVID over a year ago and since then has essentially been bedridden. Um, it affected her in a different way than most people. And it, it has changed her entire life. So talking about discontentment, with her, we have to be a little bit different than talking about, you know, my ears or something like that, right? But for all of us, I think there's going to be a range. There's going to be some things that are relatively trivial, and there's going to be other things that are extremely heavy, and we don't want to, I don't want to deal with those as if they're trivial. And yet, they have this in common, they're sinful, all right? When we are discontent with where God has put us, even if it's something really difficult, like a prolonged illness, or perhaps the death of someone that's really close to you, when something like that happens, and we are discontent, it is still sin. Uh, discontentment is, it's really sinful because it's the result of misplaced affections, okay? This is where Toblerone comes in, okay? You're still, <laughs> if you still remember Toblerone. Okay, it's, discontentment is the result of misplaced affections or wrong desires, okay? The things that we want that we should not want as much as we want them, okay? Have you guys ever heard of idolatry, you know what I'm talking about? This is what I'm talking about here, where we want something, we desire something more than well, how we desire God, okay? So we should desire God above all other things, but we desire something in, in his place more. And when we do that, it's essentially, and we start to try and fill ourselves up on that, that's like eating an entire bar of Toblerone. I kind of liken my nausea to discontentment, okay? I was nauseous because I had tried to fill up on Toblerone and that was a horrible decision, right? And yet we do this all the time with, with these things that we think are going to fill us up, think are going to content us, and they don't, right? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And we break that commandment when we put something above him. We were made to treasure God above everything else. And we were made to be satisfied in him. And so when we look to other things for satisfaction, we end up sick, basically. We're sick. So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, you just heard the proverb, the dog returns to his vomit. What a disgusting and fitting image for what we do to our sin. And especially in this case, it's like if I were to throw up that Toblerone and then say, I'm hungry. Hmm. <laughs> Toblerone on the floor. <laughs> it's disgusting. And yet we do that, right? 
ah, I'm not popular enough. I don't have enough good friends. So I'm going to try and make more good friends. And then that doesn't fill us up. In fact, we are more dissatisfied than ever when we chase that as the source of our satisfaction, right? But we don't learn the lesson. We go back. Um, so how do we address this? I've tried to pose a problem to you. Uh, how do we address discontentment in our lives? And how do we pursue the opposite of that, which is joy? How do we pursue true joy and true contentment and true satisfaction? Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4. Thank goodness I'm not just going to talk at you. Well, I am, but I'm going <laughs> to try my very best for the Lord to speak through Philippians and through the Apostle Paul. So turn to chapter 4, and we're going to just jump into verse 10 here. So chapter 4, verse 10. A little bit of background. Paul is, he's in jail, okay? Uh, he is awaiting trial. Uh, have you guys heard of Nero? So Nero is in power, and Paul is writing about how he's going to be tried by Nero. Now, he had written earlier other, other epistles that seemed to imply that he thought he was going to get out. And now this epistle, something changed, and some people think that Nero, this is when Nero basically started going crazy. He started going neurotic. And this is when Paul realized, okay, I, m I might not make it out, actually. I have a good case, but that doesn't matter in front of a crazy man, okay? And so he's realizing, I might be dead. I might be a dead man in a short order. And yet this, this epistle is marked by joy, like none other. It's known as the epistle of joy. And so here we are in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So just really quick, a little background. What he's talking about is that the Philippian church, church in Philippi, sent him a gift. Okay, Think of it like he's in jail on house arrest, and if someone doesn't provide for him, he doesn't eat. And so they sent him a big check so that he can buy food and he can feed himself. Okay. They sent him this, and now he's essentially thanking them, okay? He's saying, I rejoiced when I got your gift. He's standing up at his birthday party and saying, thank you so much, okay? Now, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So now, what is he saying? He's saying, don't be confused. I'm not actually excited because I got a gift. I'm actually not excited because I'm now going to be able to eat. That's actually not why I'm rejoicing. Because this is what he's saying. I don't want you to be misled into thinking that I need a gift from you to be joyful. You see that how, how, he's, how he's putting that? Not that I'm speaking of being in need, okay? For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So now you should be kind of saying, okay, Paul, uh, what are you talking about? Uh, and he goes on in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he's saying in any situation he is in, even if he's hungry, and this isn't just like our version of hungry, uh, like I'm hangry because I haven't eaten in like three hours. Uh, I don't know, has anyone here gone a week or more without food? Maybe someone would do that, right, um, as, as a fast or something like that. But what he's taught, when he says hunger, and you read about his autobiography in something like 2 Corinthians where he says, you know, I've been shipwrecked this many times. I've been flogged this many times. I've been on the point of death 
multiple times. So when he says hunger, he means I was, I was on the point of death, okay? I'm that, I was that hungry, and yet I was joyful. I was happy. I wasn't discontent, okay? He, he has a secret, and he, sa- he calls it a secret, right? Um, and so if you're like me, and you read that, you say, all right, Paul, what's the secret? <laughs> Let me know. I want to know. Do you, do you want to know? Do you, do you want joy in your life that isn't based on circumstances? Uh, when I was reading this, I was laboring over it because I, w- I was like, first of all, I want to know. And second of all, I think everybody else wants to know too. So what's his answer in verse 13? It's a verse that's often taken out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's Paul's, that's the secret. That's essentially his explanation. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Two quick things. All things, when he says all things, he's not saying I can go and win a football game through him who strengthens me, right? It's not like I'm Superman because I have Jesus inside of me. And oftentimes we take it like that, don't we? We can take it as our little, as our motto to go and start a business or our motto to go and make a friend or ask someone on a date or whatever it is, which is, which is okay. Um, he does give us strength for, for the daily things. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. What he's talking about is all things. It's every situation God has put Paul, every horribly difficult situation that God put him, he, God strengthened him to endure it. He strengthened him not just to be there and to, and to live, but he strengthened him. When he says, I can do all of this, he's talking about rejoicing. He's talking about being satisfied in that situation. And so what exactly does that mean, though? Do you feel, do you feel what I'm saying? It's almost like in Sunday school, you guys know the joke that's basically like in Sunday school, the right answer is always Jesus. Yeah, it's like, okay, Jesus, it's Jesus. All right, so Paul, what's the secret to joy? Jesus. All right, there you guys go. You guys are good to go. Have a great night. We can stop right there. What does he mean? Right, that's, that's my question. Okay, he strengthens him. How is Paul strengthened by Jesus to be joyful? I think that he gives the answer, well, there's not a, there's not a pat answer, first of all, right? I'm not going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about three points tonight, but they're not like the only three points for joy. But I think that they are evident in this, in this entire letter. So we're going to mine different parts of the letter and basically try to discover what, were, what was Paul instructing them and what was he giving them by example for joy, okay? So here's the first one. Rejoice in the Lord. It's actually a command. So secret to joy, first one is rejoice in the Lord. I want you to go to chapter 4, verse 4. This is one of my favorite verses. Uh, when I was in college, I broke my leg, and it was pretty painful. And I, would lived in a r- I was in a room that had a bunk bed. So I had to, like, climb up in the bunk bed with my broken leg. One time I got in the shower, and it got wet. And so my entire leg was covered in blisters, okay? And it, and it was, like, really disgusting. So I don't know why I'm, like, making, like, all these disgusting illustrations for you guys tonight. Sorry. Um, Anyway, all that to say, I put this, this is the verse I put on the wall. I was like, this has to get me through this. Uh, somehow God's going to use this. Um, he's going to let me use it as an illustration someday when I'm talking to a bunch of other college kids. Um, anyway, here we are. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. First of all, that's a command, right? So there has to be something that we can volitionally do to take joy in the Lord. And when we, I, 
actually, this is one of those nuggets that I loved from one of my mentors, Peter Gaiman. I don't know if you guys know him. But joy is basically just happiness. There's actually not a big difference between those. Often we'll hear uh, that joy and happiness are, are, are somehow different, like you can have joy when you're unhappy. Uh, I don't think that's exactly true. Actually, joy and happiness, they're basically the same thing. And we can actually choose joy and we can choose happiness somehow in the Lord. The Lord can strengthen us to do that. So what does Paul mean when he says rejoice in the Lord? Well, let's keep reading. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Not, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So just a couple quick points. I think one of the, the, the fastest ways to infuse your life with joy is just to recognize what the Lord has done in your life and to give him thanks. And that's what Paul is saying here. Give thanksgiving. And he says in other places, thank the Lord at all times. Unceasingly give him thanks. Uh, one of my favorite stories about my wife and I, Kate, by the way, today's her due date, and she is in here, so let's give her a round of applause, right? <laughs> um, one of my favorite stories, it was actually one of our, our first times meeting, we went to a coffee shop together, okay, we, we had met at a Bible study, because we're super holy, and uh, <laughs> it was a joke, uh, we went to, a, we were super unholy uh, in so many ways, but uh, we went to a, a coffee shop and started to get to know each other. It was like one of our very first things. And I remember asking her, why are you so happy? At this point in my life, I was struggling. I was struggling with being pretty discontent and pretty unhappy, frankly. And she was like, well, I don't know. I guess I just am. But I also, I'm really thankful for stuff. And I was like, okay. So she was like, all right, let's play a game. Let's thank the Lord for stuff. Let's just go back and forth. We'll thank the Lord for stuff for one minute. And I literally told her, I can't. I can't. I can't think of that many things. I'm going to run out of things. I'm not thankful for anything. I hate life. Okay, that was, that was basically my, my perspective. I know, really attractive, right? You can see why she married me. Um, well, I made it through that minute, but that has stuck with me. She taught me something then that has stuck with me my whole life, actually, that Thanksgiving is huge. In fact, I, I, I almost didn't want to say anything about it because I, I almost want to have a whole other talk on Thanksgiving and how important giving thanks is and how wretched it is to be unthankful for what the Lord has done for us. So if, if, if rejoice in the Lord means anything, uh, well, it means a lot of things, I think, but one of those is just give thanks. Think about what the Lord has done for you. If you have indeed placed your faith in him, no matter what your situation is, you, can ha you have things to thank the Lord for. Really incredible things, actually. And if you aren't sure what those are, then learn about them. Learn about his promises. So that's number one, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, that's a command that Paul gives. Uh, number two is trust his providence. Trust in God's providence. Uh, I just want to point out, going back to verse, uh, verses 10 through 13. In, in verse 11, he says, I'm not speaking about being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he goes on and he says it again. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. So then my question arises, okay, how did God teach him that? Uh, how did he learn contentment? Well, interestingly, that word for content can also be translated sufficient. And you guys have probably also heard, in 2 Corinthians actually, if you were in the service this morning, this, this verse was read. But it's Paul saying, I asked the Lord to take a thorn out of my flesh. 
right? I was, I was discontent with something, and I said, Lord, I can't bear this. I can't bear this trial anymore. And he pled with the Lord, pled, I think that's right, three times. He said, Lord, please remove this from my life. And what did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. Power is made perfect in your weakness. So it's that same word right here. I have learned to be content. Really, that word can be translated self-sufficient. I have everything that I need in myself because I have the Lord, okay? But how did the Lord teach him that sufficiency? He taught him that in trial. He taught him that through a thorn in the flesh. So when we, when we look at things that we are discontent with, I, don't know, I want you to, if you can, think of something in your life that, that you're discontent about, something that you'd change. Maybe something that you've prayed would change, and the Lord hasn't changed it. Uh, for a lot of us, that's uh, looking around maybe and you know, you're not dating the person that you'd like to be dating or you're not dating at all and you'd like to be. Or maybe you are dating and, and you don't want to be anymore or something like that. Uh, hopefully, there's something you can do about that. But for most of us, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to go that direction. Um, someone's going to come to me really angry after this. Like, I told her to break up with me. Um, no, okay, what I'm, what I'm getting at is we can be really discontent about that. We compare ourselves to other people and say, I'm not, I'm not happy where I am, right? If you're thinking about that, here's the thing. The Lord might be, probably is, using that situation and that trial to teach you something, right? And, oh, this is, uh, I have a really great quote I really want you to hear. Okay, this is from a Puritan named Thomas Watson, okay? This is how he describes a trial and how the Lord uses it in our lives, okay? He actually calls it a cross, okay? So a cross, a trial. You guys with me? This is, a, this is something that's causing discontentment in your life. A contented Christian does not seek to choose his cross, but leaves God to choose for him. He's content with both the kind and the duration. A contented spirit says, let God apply what medicine he pleases, and let it remain as long as it will. I know that when it is done, I'm sorry, when it has done its cure, and it's eaten the venom of sin out of my heart, then God will take it off again. That's often how our trials actually, how God uses our trials in our lives. It's like something that he puts on us that stings. Maybe it burns, but it's actually burning out the sin out of our lives. He can use those trials. Now, a, a bigger principle here that, that I'm getting at but don't have a full time to really get into is the sovereignty of God, okay, that God is in control of every situation in your life down to the smallest, minutest detail, and beyond that, not only is he in control of it, he's, he's working it for his glory and your good, right? There's really two principles in the sovereignty of God that are essential that we have to understand if we're going to be content in this life, and number one, it's that God is good. And number two, it's that God is powerful enough to control all things. And if we understand those two things, we're going to have joy because we're going to trust him. We're going to trust God. Romans 8.28, uh, maybe I should turn there. Um, I'm going to turn there really quick. Turn to Romans 8.28 because the next verse is right next to it. It just fled my mind which is sad. Yes, and we know that 
for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God works everything together for your good. And how do we know that it's going to be good? How can we trust God to actually work all things together for our good? Well, if you just go a couple of verses later. In verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him give you just all things? That's how we can trust him in these situations where he does not change your situation. You pray that it changes, and it doesn't change. It's because he loves you. And he's proven that by giving his son. And if that isn't enough to prove it for you, then it might be that you don't understand what he's done, right? And I don't think we do oftentimes. We don't think about it. But we should strive to understand it. Quick personal application uh, of this idea of the sovereignty of God. First of all, he made you the way he was, the way he made you with purpose, okay? I mean, I'm talking specifically about, like, your body and how your, your chemistry and how your personality is. He made all of that with a purpose, okay? And so when we compare ourselves to one another, we're not doing ourselves any, any good, really, okay? There's two truths that I just want to throw out there, okay, that I, I encourage Kate with us sometimes. <laughs> you can tell me if it's encouraging. Number one, uh, we are all essentially corroding away. And if the Lord does not come, every one of your bodies will decay and be eaten by worms in the ground. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> I, it actually is, right? So, so tomorrow, if my face gets marred in a car accident and, and you look at me and you're like, I don't recognize Paul, uh, it might look better, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you get my point. Well, in the end, we, we know that yes, everything ultimately is falling apart and, and we shouldn't expect anything different. That's on the one hand, okay? And so we can look at someone who's, who's prosperous and, re and be reminded the poor man and the rich man go to the same place, right? On the other hand, the more encouraging part is that you are destined for a new body and for a perfected body. And so for those things that are imperfect that God is using in your life, he's not going to allow them to remain forever. In fact, after you die, he's going to finish what he started. And you're going to be raised up in an imperishable body that is absolutely perfect. I'm stoked for that. That sounds awesome. Um, so we can trust God, and, and, we, and we need to in, the, in these places where we're discontent. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep moving. Last one. Um, so you can rejoice in the Lord. That's, that's number one, right? Give thanks for, for what the Lord has done in your life. Number two, trust his providence. Okay, trust that he is in control. And, and, and third, love his people. I was asking myself, as I, again, when I went through Philippians and I was studying for this and I was asking myself, Paul, what makes you so joyful? And I said, okay, well, when he mentions joy in this, in this book, what is he talking about? Okay, I'm just going to just walk you through a couple of these examples. Okay, joy is just oozing out of him. And, and what is he talking about in all of these different situations? So in, in chapter 1, verse 18, you don't have to go there. Uh, he's talking about how other people are preaching Christ, but they're doing it out of selfish ambition, 
thinking to afflict him in his imprisonment. Basically, they were like, haha, Paul's sidelined, he's in prison. We knew he wasn't any good anyway. I'm the new preacher in town, okay? What does Paul say? What? Well, only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I'm rejoicing, okay? Paul is rejoicing that other people are hearing about Jesus one way or another, okay? Let me go to 217. He says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on your faith, what he's saying is, if I'm pouring out my life for you, then that gives me joy. I'm going to rejoice in that. What he's saying is, even if I'm killed on your behalf, I'm going to find joy in that. And then finally, going back to, uh, we're going to finish where we started in, in chapter 4. Go, uh, go back to this example. He is thanking them for their gift, right? But he says, I'm not actually all that happy that, you, that I got the gift, okay? What does he say? I'm actually happy that you gave me the gift. That's the idea, okay? And I'm going to prove that. Let's, we'll keep reading at verse 14. We stopped at 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is uh, Philippians 4, 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help. You sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, listen right here. So he's talking about the gift that they've given him, the support that they've given him. And he says, not that I seek the gift. I don't care about your money, really. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What he's saying is, when you give me a gift, I'm seeing that you actually are starting to get it. You're starting to understand what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Because you are acting like I'm acting, I'm pouring out myself for you, and then you're starting to pour out yourself for me. And I know, even though you are sharing in my suffering, that that's going to turn out for your good. It's going to amount to your credit in heaven, is what he's saying. You're going to have a heavenly reward for that. And on top of that, you're going to start to rejoice. And that's why he tells them over and over again, rejoice with me. Yeah, you, this might be my last letter, basically. I might be dying, but I want you to rejoice. And Paul is just showing that in his life, where did he find joy? He found joy in pouring out his love into other people. He found joy in watching and, and nurturing the faith of other believers. That's where he found joy. I really, really want for my own life and for this whole group for that to be a source of joy that we would be like Paul and we would see others who don't know the Lord and we would say I want the joy of of pouring myself out so that they know the Lord there are people out there that are very lost that think that they want nothing to do with Christianity but they have no idea what Christianity is about and you are the people who are next to them in class or across from them in the dorm or on the street, wherever you're living, who actually have the key to true contentment. They don't have this. They are in a rat race that will never end. And if you're discontent, one of the ways that you can chase true contentment is to follow Paul's example and actually pour yourself out for the faith of other people. And that's not only those who are outside of this group, but also the people inside this group. Are you, are you serving each other? Are you loving each other? 
And did you know that when you do that, and I've seen it already in this group, but when you do that for each other, it just produces joy. Discontentment fades because the Lord made you to love each other, and he made you to love him. And when you start to do that, you're feeding yourself true food, and you're not just downing a Toblerone bar and throwing it up and then eating it again. So there you go. Rejoice in the Lord. Trust his providence. Oh, you can put him back up if you want to. Um, and love his people. Thanks, Anna. Um, again, this isn't like, here's the solution to your discontentment, but uh, it's a really good place to start, and it's from the life of the Apostle Paul. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, and we'll close with this. It would seem, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We think we can be pleased by all these trivial things, essentially. But there is so much rich joy available in the Lord. And you were made to experience that. You were made to dive into that. Let's pray together, and uh, I'll invite the worship team to come back up. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this, this chance to gather tonight. And Lord, I pray that that your word, that you would use your word to convict our hearts, Lord. And to bring yourself glory. Lord, would you, would you lead us in caring and caring about each other and caring about those who don't know you so we could find true contentment and true joy and true satisfaction in watching someone who did not understand and did not know you, turn to you in repentance and say, I want to call Jesus Lord. And Lord, would you, would you show us how to love one another in that same way where we can find joy in pouring ourselves out for the good of, of someone else? Lord, we want to glorify you and we trust, Lord, that you will be glorified. You will use and work all things in our life, even our failures, to glorify yourself. And Lord, what a comfort pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, that was convicting. You guys can stand to your feet, but I want to say this before we sing this song. This is a hallelujah, what a savior. Um, this song talks about where our contentment comes from because of what Christ did for us on the cross. So pay attention to these lyrics as we sing them and let that be where your contentment